I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch podcast. I'm Matt. I'm your host. With me this week are my fantabulous co-hosts, Liz and Joe. And we're going to jump right into talking about stuff because stuff happened last week after we did last week's podcast. And it's the holidays, so you know there's not a lot of stuff in this week to talk about as yet. So first up, um, I think we're going to talk about the world first thing first because Liz was was casting for... Uh, world first race this month week and therefore she'll have a lot of insights or at least such as my hope so i can you know sit here and be cold uh um, Liz, what's going on talk about that that echo kill uh yes uh world first mythic razgath has come and gone echo got the kill Li- uh liquid was not that far behind and just today, that's uh, Tuesday, December 27th, uh, Method came in and got World 3rd. And BDGG is pretty close. I think they'll probably kill it tonight. They've got Razagath down to 2%. And uh, Razagath is really interesting because it's a, it's a three-phase fight with two intermissions. And uh, the thing that sticks in my mind about this fight is that when my guild leader was kind of going through and linking guides and, you know, giving little brief rundowns of each fight so we could go in and not mess it up, uh, he said, it's a three-phase fight with two intermissions. Just watch the bleep video <laughs> because it's it's a long and complicated fight. Uh and it's it's going about 300, 350 pulls for most guilds. Method did it in like 265. Uh, sorry, Echo. One day I'm going to get all of these straight because I still want to say limit when I'm supposed to say liquid. And it's it, there, there are too many names. There are too many guild names. Um, 
so so Echo got it in about 265, I believe. And but like watching guilds do this, you would see guilds just get stuck at like 60% and they would do like a hundred pulls and they would only get to 60% because the first intermission starts at 60%. So they'd get there and they couldn't push past it. And they would do like a hundred pulls at 60%. And then the next phase kind of starts at 35, 30, 35, somewhere in there. And you'd see like it, the fight had really hard progress breakpoints. Whenever they got to a new intermission or a new phase, they'd sit there for like a hundred pulls every guild, and then they'd make really, really fast progress to get to the to the next phase, and then they'd get stuck again. So it's been a fight with a lot of up and ups and downs. But we have the top three in the world. One of the, of course, controversial things about this is that Liquid and Echo were like neck and neck. And then Blizzard nerfed the fight. And it was kind of during prime time for Echo. And so they went and they nailed the kill. And that's always one of the really weird things about World First is this is super not a fair fight. And down there at the end, I thought, okay, this is just going to come down to who is online and playing when the next nerf comes in. Because both Echo and Liquid were really close. And it's like, it seemed pretty obvious that another nerf was coming in because this fight was really hard. This was really pushing these top tier guilds. And yeah, then the nerf came in and it was while Echo was playing and Liquid was not. So that's what happened. Of course, I don't want to downplay the amount of skill these guilds have. Echo is really good. And they did close the kill like 100 pulls less than Liquid did. That's a lot of skill. That's a lot of determination and effort. But it's still like, why these fights are so weird in that they're so unbalanced. It's so strange because this is just not, it's not a level playing field for anyone. Well, I think it's part of the problem is that they don't put them up for much testing. I mean, I don't think Mythic got any testing, did it? No, it was it was a black box. It, it did not get tested. Testing. It was yeah. internal testing, and that's basically it. That's the kind of thing that's going to end up leading to people, you know, whoever, whoever, as you said, is on when yeah. the nerf comes down. Um, and uh, they did do a couple of nerfs to that fight during while people were progressing on it, and just the last one came uh, when Echo was playing. I also wonder how much of that was because they were doing this during the, the holiday season. Um, I did... Yeah, I did kind of feel that like Blizzard wanted this fight to be done before Christmas, and so they came in with like a last-minute nerf. I mean, I don't know if that's true, uh, but it's, I don't know it's if it is. I either, was worrying. But... It's something I was thinking about, is what I should say, just because of the timing was what it was. Yeah, I mean, both Liquid and Echo killed Razagath before Christmas Eve, so they had like Christmas the Eve and Christmas, and uh, BDG and Method did not kill it. By then, and you know, Method just did it today. I think BDG is on the verge, and you know, you're you're playing through the holidays. Yeah. All right. Uh, one last thing to mention about this fight before uh, we move on to other topics. Uh, Razageth's got a cute hat. So talk about that. I mean, I think that's really important. Kind of uh, when some some nerfs went through. Just I think it was on Thursday. Uh, yeah, suddenly Razagath was wearing a Christmas hat and had a wreath in one hand and a candy cane in the other. So that last bit of progression on Mythic Razagath, everyone was fighting this giant dinosaur dragon with, uh, you know, with up and dressed up in her holiday finery. That seems fine. 
Also, I mean, like if yeah. you go in, if you go into the Vault of Incarnates now, uh, the very first room, like before you start even the first encounter stuff, uh, Dadgar has a, a Santa hat, and there is a Christmas tree. <laughs> there's a Christmas tree with presents in the very first room. That's amazing. So, all right, Alrighty. Uh, last week I think we did this podcast on Tuesday as we usually do, and then of course on Wednesday, uh, Blizzard decided, hey, let's put out a whole lot of information about next year. And Y'all know how so this we, goes. Yeah. So to sum it up before I throw it over to these guys to chat, um, basically we found out we're going to get six patches with two seasons, uh, season two and season three of, of, of Dragonflight, and then two patches before season two and two patches before season three. So six patches in total. And uh, of those patches... In 2023. Yeah, in 2023, sorry. Uh, and of those patches, at least two per season are going to be content oriented. Um, there will be n- maybe not necessarily patch 10.0.5, for instance, isn't going to have any new content per se, but 10.0.7 is going to have new content, including a new quest hub. Uh, we don't really know much at all about the patches after that, because come on, we're like looking at months and months out at this point. So uh, do either of you guys, anything in particular you want to talk about before we just give a general discussion of this stuff? I th- There's so much. I think we should just go in and talk. I, was right. say, I, I think it's interesting oh. that they laid out a, a 2023 roadmap uh, and did not say that this is all we're getting. That's true. That is true. They didn't. Usually did. expansions last two years. Mm-hmm. And technically this expansion only came out in late November. So it is not, I would not expect the next expansion until late November of 2024. So, that, so that's, that's how I'm looking at it, but who knows? Liz? So yeah, it seems it seems perfectly likely that we'll get a 9.3 as well sometime in 2024, and perhaps patches leading up to that because they're kind of doing two small patches, then a big patch, then two small patches, then a big patch. So yeah, we could have another patch cycle or two after this roadmap. Honestly, I feel like calling 10.0.5 a small patch. I mean, it doesn't have any like new content to play through. But, I mean, they completely redid uh, two talent trees from yeah. the ground up. They I mean, changed talents for pretty much every class. Yeah, uh, they've also been doing that in hot fixes since it launched. So, I mean, yeah. I just I just don't think it's that huge of a patch. It does have a lot of class changes, but it's not... Like, it kind of feels like this is the stuff they didn't get finished finalizing before the expansion launched. And now they're now they're getting it in there. Yeah, I know. I I also I'm interested. Uh, did they tell us what Primalist tomorrow is? Nope. Because that feels like content. That feels like story. We have no idea what that is. It's an event of some kind. I'm curious because we now have access to the uh, Bronze Dragonflight area. So <laughs> I I guess we should go go up and uh, say it. Patch 10.0.5 is due out in winter 2023, and it is said to contain the trading post. Something called Primalist Tomorrow and White and Gray Transmog, as well as the class changes Matt was talking about. Yeah. Uh, quite frankly, I have no idea what Primalist Tomorrow is, but I'm interested to find out, obviously. Uh, but you were talking in the pre-show about how it feels like there's so much to do. Mm-hmm. And it feels like they're not slowing down on that. This reminds me of, do you remember back when Mr. Pandaria was coming out? Wow. We're all, we're all so old. Um, <laughs> and... They they basically we we were going away we were going away for the holidays and they dropped the news that that uh, the next patch with the th- with the thunder you know the the throne of thunder raid was going to be on the PTR in January and we were like what 
And then that boom, like within a, within a month and a half, it was out. And that was like the content pace was really fast for Mr. Pandaria right up until Siege came out. And then obviously when Siege came out, the content delivery stopped for a year. Um, that's just, that's something that I've been thinking about a lot with this. Like, I really hope they don't do that. Well, like, that's what I think is interesting about getting this roadmap. It's Blizzard has in the past been really, really bad about front-loading content and then doing nothing for a year. And that is not fun for us. That's not fun for anyone who plays the game. But in this roadmap, they've outlined content coming out every few months throughout the year without any like, oh, we're going to roll out a patch in the summer and then we're going to forget the game exists for a year. Okay, they don't, I'm, I'm being sarcastic. They don't really do that. I know everyone works really hard to give us content. But uh, sometimes it feels like there's just nothing because the cadence of rolling out patches can be very weird. So I, I like seeing this big roadmap that lines out regular content releases. Yeah, this is this is more akin to what I've been kind of, I don't want to say screaming for, but like I really wanted exactly something like this for a long time where, and this may be an unpopular opinion, I'm kind of over like whole big expansions as far as like system changes and things like that go. And I'm almost at a point in my life where I'm starting to prefer games that just do consistent, constant updates. Um, I know WoW is never going to be that. I don't think it'll ever make that shift. It's always going to have sort of the expansion uh, release thing. But this feels closer to that, like it closer to having the regular updates to keep the thing fresher longer. Um, Matt pointed out that we generally run two years between expansions, you know, if there was constant patching and constant updates between major expansions, I feel like that two years wouldn't matter as much. We wouldn't be as keenly focused on that time frame as we usually are. Like, so I'm I'm curious. I'm curious if this is like the start of seeing if something like that would work for them, or at least adopting some of that mentality that other games do. Right. Let's look at then for let's look at patch ten point zero point seven then if we're going to be talking about that because that's the first story stuff we're going to get uh the first major story patches it's they've told us about three things one of them is that it's going to go uh up to the forbidden reach where the uh where the drakthia starting zone is we're going to go go there as you know max level characters and there's going to be questing and so forth it'll be somewhat similar to s- such zones we've seen before like uh tinian jungle in warlords or, you know, the Argus stuff in, in Legion, or uh, Naz Jatar in Battle for Azeroth, or, you know, the two of them that we got in Legion, in uh, Shadowlands. So it's it's not like a new idea, mm-hmm. but it's it's interesting there because it, it it's the first confirmed story and questing uh, stuff we're going to get after uh, Vault of the Incarnates. And the second thing there is that they told us that it will be leading into where we end up going after that. Like we're going to find out where the next destination is. And that's interesting for a variety of reasons. Thirdly, we get a uh, human and orc heritage armor is also coming in 10.0.7. And uh, as of right now, we have no idea what the questing is going to look like, but we know that it's going to be there. We've seen the previous ones. Um, I, I mean, I don't think anybody on this call has like a, a human main uh, not not anymore not or an orc days. of of any mm. real you know uh, i i have a human uh i do play it i, I did level it to 70 
but it's a human male and I just hate it so much facially. Like I never liked human faces, but my God, they look like just, just like homo erectus now. They're just not right. Um, so yeah, I'm not looking forward to that, but it's still pretty cool for people who do like that idea. And I do like that they're getting more heritage armor in. Um, it feels a bit like a call back to the first Warcraft game as well. Yeah. You know, or Orcs, Orcs and, humans. and humans. That's the classic. Yeah. So uh, anything about that in particular? I mean, I, I could go on and on about 10.0.7 in terms of what I think the storytelling stuff for it's going to be, but this isn't lore watch and we do have other things to talk about. So instead I'll just say that I'm interested to see how they change up the tried and true, go to a new place, get a new quest hub, do stuff around it. Um, if you guys remember, and I'm sure you do, uh, Battle for Azeroth had Nazjatar, but then it also had uh, Mechagon. Yep. And Mechagon was a much fr- more freeform experience. It was just go here, run around looking for stuff, and kill it. Uh, whereas Nazjatar was a much more organized, you know, funneling you towards the raid sort of zone. Uh, you've looking back at all the other kinds of zones like this we've seen. What do you guys? What are you, what are you hoping for out of this? What do you want this to be like? I don't know. I'm trying to go in without any expectations. Right. Like I, I, it's one of those things where I'm kind of just curious to see what they want to do with it and kind of just experience it for what it is. Cause like, I'm one of the people like, I did not like Corthia. Like, I don't know why it just didn't, it didn't like click with me at all. So I'm curious to see if they can do something that isn't Corthia. Um, but still gives that sort of like, like experience of expanding the, the game world or, or, or whatever they're, they're going for. I'm just curious to see what they're going for. So zero expectations for me. Liz. Um, I mean, I'm interested in seeing the story continue. That's usually my thing with Warcraft. I'm interested in kind of where the story's going and, you know, any story game, I want to know the story. I don't necessarily care that much about, I mean, I do care about the mechanics, but I want to know where they're going with this. Dragonflight has like a story that engages me a lot, which has not been true. You know, Battle for Azeroth, I was kind of like, eh, could we do this without story? But even then, even when I was not into the story, the story quests were really good and they were packed with amazing cinematics. So that was still something I looked forward to. So just I want to know what happens next. That's that's me. I was just lifting this up to my mouth when you stopped talking. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, I would say for me personally, um, one of the things I'm interested to see is they've, they've added in the, you know, story unlocks at certain renown levels that they, they put in, in, in uh, Shadowlands, which I thought was a pretty good, pretty interesting dynamic. That's still the case in Dragonflight. And uh, I'm almost to the point where I can unlock one of the stories I've been looking forward to for a while. I'm interested to see if they continue that going forward. uh, If they, have the story unlock like that, or if they, they bring something back like the, you know, the operation shield wall slash dominance offensive stuff from mists where the quests unlocked over a week by week basis. Um, there's just, there's a lot of different ways we could see it happen. I'm also interested in stuff that has nothing to do with this, but which I think is going to tie into it. Um, I saw Joe on Twitter talking about the, uh, the Nosdormu time traveling quests and about not seeing Neptalon. Yep. In those quests, but did you notice the other interesting thing? The one that Therizane was the only one that was targetable to be attacked, but the other two were yellow mobs. Mm, they're not yellow mobs; they're red. They're yellow. I was just there today. They're red. Then they change it because when I took the screenshots, they were yellow. They're yellow if you don't actually point at them, but they're red when you look at the text. Um, but regardless, what I thought was interesting about that was that they're hostile to you. All the various elementals are hostile to you. 
but they're also attacking the old God minions. Oh yeah. So this is before the old gods conquered the uh, elementals. And I think that's going to be important in the story going forward. I agree. You and I were talking about that on lore watch. That's where yeah. we made that, that theory about right at the end there, which if you haven't listened to lore watch, go do it. I'm going to self plug here because I'm really proud of that. <laughs> yeah. But I, so I'm interested to see how it like it ties into what we do on the, on the, uh, I want to say broken shore, but it's uh, the forbidden the reach. Forbidden reach. Um, I'm interested to see how it works, how it plays out. I'm also interested in seeing if we see more of the zone than we got to his drag there. Yeah. Cause we were um, kind of funneled along through it. Right. <laughs> I feel like we have to see more of the zone. I mean, if they, we have to, that's kind of going to be the thing. We're going to have to like untangle the secrets that Noltharian left behind. And that means exploring those vaults and looking around and maybe finding more about how he sealed Razagath away. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. Um, and the fact that I'm, you know, choking to death on my own throat doesn't change that fact. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, that's that's something I want to see more of, like to explore that Forbidden Reach. But I'm also real curious about this where we're going next line that they just sort of dropped in there and then walked away from it like they didn't just lob a hand grenade at us. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? Where are we going? Uh, there's two islands off the coast of the Onaran Plains mm-hmm. that you don't really get to go to. They're they're just past where the Green Dragonflight has their magic tree, and I'm real curious about those. Uh, I definitely want to see more about that. But then it's like, what's, what do you mean where we're going next? Like you've done this to me before blizzard. I still remember for of Draenor, you had all that stuff just off the edge of the map and you never went to any of it. Like I, 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 I see you blizzard. I remember that. Like, remember where we are like, Ooh, what are we going to do in Farallon? And it turned out nothing, nothing in Farallon. You're not going there. <laughs> Did I let you have a mission table mission to Farallon? Hope that's good enough. Um, Thankfully, we don't have a mission table this time, so I don't have to worry about that happening. Although it'd be hilarious if we went to Farallon in this expansion. <laughs> uh, I was like, what are we doing here? Oh, you wanted Farallon. Here it is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's a there's a lot coming. We, we really don't know the extent of it. We know there's going to be at least two more raid tiers. Um, we don't know that it'll be two raids. It could be like, you know, we've in the past, we've gotten a raid tier that was like a smaller raid and a larger raid. Um, in a... In Battle for Azeroth, that was Dizar lore and uh, Council. Like, I want to say Council of Storms. I don't remember what the name of the, the actual raid was, but but we all know the one I'm talking about the the two boss raid with uh, old gaudy stuff going on. Yep. So that's entirely possible. We we then got uh, two more raids after that. It's actually kind of interesting to realize that Battle for Azeroth had four raid tiers. I mean, I don't really count the mini raids as a raid tier. Well, I did. I think you kind of have to for Dizar lore. Mm. Because Dazarlor was well, like a six-boss raid. I mean, yeah, Dazarlor was a raid, but the 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 little mini old god raid was. I mean, that was old here or the council. Of no, Storm? no, the, the strong count- one, the one with that's two bosses. The, that's not. Yeah, that's not what it's called. I can't remember what it's called either because yeah. I went in there, I killed everything, I left, and very gladly never went back. Yeah, but I mean that counts as part of the raid tier of Dazarlor because they came out at the same time. That's that's all I mean. Um, mm-hmm. I still, if you have to go with Aldir, then Dazar Lore, then uh, Ashara's Eternal Palace, and then finally Nihilotha, that's four raids, and they have all different tiers. So, still four raid tiers. Uh, Shadowlands, I think Shadowlands has three, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, three is kind of the, the three typical. is the standard. So, it's interesting to realize that Balfour Azeroth went to four. Um, 
I don't know what we're going to see for Dragonflight. Dragonflight feels like so unprecedented that I really have no idea uh, what a lot of stuff is going to be. Like I, we're looking at three raid tiers right now, just from the different seasons. Are we going to get a season four that's like the Shadowlands season four, where it's basically just faded raids, or are we going to get a full, complete story season and then maybe a season five that does the same kind of thing? If we get a thing, that, uh, uh, one like that at all, although they have said that they liked how it worked for Shadowlands and they might, they do want to bring it back. And I, I personally think that having the raids scale at the end is, is a lot of fun. Um, I yeah, I idea. agree. But um, anything else you, do you, do you want to talk about white and gray items? I mean, I think we already talked about that last week, didn't we? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, a little bit. Well, okay. we, we just, we just knew that white and gray items we we already knew that that was coming in 10.05. Yeah. And so that's more transmog. I'm all for it. It's weird to me just because I, I never you have ever really thought about white or gray items that much. It's just not something I, I'm usually much more of a, oh, I must kill the same boss over and over and over again until he gives me my stuff. <laughs> um, but it is interesting that they're finally making like one more change to transmog, bringing us one step closer to my eventual dream of just letting everybody transmog everything all the time. Uh, and then, of course, make it free. Because, my God, the amount of gold I'm spending on this. Uh, yeah, so much. So much. But I think we're going to move on to... We've covered the Heritage Armor. Uh, I think we should at least mention that the uh, Vault of the Incarnates Wing 2, uh, the next wing, is opening next week on January 2nd. For LFR. Uh, and, yeah, for LFR. Uh, and for LFR, Wing 3 is opening on January 16th. Um, then in case you're, you know, currently trying to get yourself up to the point where you can get in, I think it's item level 359 for LFR in order to queue. Yeah, for somewhere in there, I think. I think that's yeah. correct. Yeah, because it's whatever the heroic is, which I think is heroic gear is a 359. Yeah, in order to queue for heroics, you need 342 eye level. Uh, the gear that drops in them is 359. Yeah. Um. So you know, if you if you're not having luck getting stuff in dungeons, you can always do the incredibly incredibly long and grindy. Uh, elemental storms and and get yourself some gear that way. My God, it takes forever. Um, but yeah, the, the, I was going to do a whole thing about asking if we think LFR should just open at the same time, just open the whole thing and maybe open the week after, like when mythic goes live, but mythic went live during everything else this time. Uh, mm -hmm. so yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like at this point that making people wait till mid January for LFR wing three is kind of weird. Uh, I don't yeah. really see the point. I mean, the only thing I can say is that at least they're only doing it in three wings this time. So it doesn't take quite as long because typically they start releasing it like a week or two after Mythic and then two weeks between each wing. And if you have four wings, that is forever to get all of LFR out. That's like two months down the road. I'm actually yeah. really curious. Have they ever said why they do that? I don't think so. I like I'm, I know back in the olden days, it was probably because they were making adjustments on the fly pretty regularly to encounters to balance them for LFR. But mm -hmm. I don't, I don't remember the last several LFR raid tiers that came out that they had to do much adjustment to like broad swaths of encounters or anything like that. So I'm, I'm curious if we're at a point or if they're at a point where these encounters can just all be released in one fell swoop. Like I don't, I'm, I'm really curious. I'd be interested to hear the reasoning why they're not. Yeah, I mean, there, sh there could certainly be a reason, but regardless, I just feel like it's <sighs> it just takes a very long time for LFR to come out. I mean, I don't even run LFR that much. I usually just uh, do normal mode uh, and the heroic mode if we get that far. Um, so for me, it's not 
it's not a major deal, but it is weird to me. Uh, but, you know, everybody feels differently. So we'll see. So maybe someone's going to come in and explain why they do it that way. I honestly don't it, know. It kind of feels like at this point, it's something they do because that's the way they've always done it. And like, does it need to be that way? I don't know. But this is the way we've always done it. Well, they changed the way they did Mythic, so they put that out at the exact same time. Maybe they could just put it... I mean, that might have just been a Christmas thing, for all I know. They looked yeah, at it I don't and know. said, yeah, we got to open this earlier because Christmas is coming up. I don't know. Um, in addition to that, the Wing 2 opening on January 2nd, that's when Winter Veil vale is going to end in WoW. And I think most of the other Blizzard holiday stuff is all ending around that same time, right? Except uh, the Diablo 3 one. Yeah, the Diablo 3 one goes into February, but most holiday events... Diablo 2, uh, Overwatch, and Hearthstone. Yes, that's the other game in my head, are ending that first week of January. So if you want to do those, get in and do them. All right. Um, okay, I'm uh, going to move on then. I, I think at this point we can move on to some questions. Uh, if you've got a question for the podcast, you can email it to us. Please, please do. Guys, please, seriously, there was nothing in the email folder today. It was so, so lonely. I didn't even have Overwatch stuff to steal. I understand it's the holidays, but come on, guys. Uh, send it to the podcast. Mm. What? We're not talking about the Otter Mount? Oh, did I skip that? I'm the one that wrote this email. Um, <laughs> okay, talk about <laughs> the Otter Mount. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I want to talk about, I want to talk about the questions and stuff like that, but it's an otter, and he wears sunglasses or, like, goggles, and you can go if, and fish him up, and uh, he's amazing. I don't want him. Okay. Is, is that all you want to say about him? It's like it's you don't quite fish him up. It's just a quest that involves a lot of fishing because you have to fish up like 75 copper coins and those are not They're, common drops. Yeah. And then you have to trade, uh, so, you have to trade them into a uh, the great swag in order to exchange them through and get the, everything you need for it. I And uh if you don't know, the Great Swag is a giant frog that you can find in a cave. Who you can pay coin to. Um, I I like stuff like this, and I'm kind of really hoping that there's more stuff like this added to the game. So, like, I had found, um, oh, what the heck is it called? I can't remember, but it's basically a sky fox. It's a fox wyvern um, that you get by exchanging. You go through like the the bracken the bracken hide quest. You go through. Uh, the normal questing you do one of the all the alternate hubs uh in azure span and then there's an npc who is uh normally a stable master so unless you're a hunter generally speaking you're not going to go talk to them but i have this nasty tendency of if i can click on somebody and they look like they have a different colored aura i'm gonna click on them and i'm gonna see what they have and at this point the there was like a sky uh slivern or something like that i think is what it's called uh he was like you can give me X number of things and I will give you this mount. Like I will give you this thing to like to carry with you. And it was like it was just like this little random thing and it costs like 20 of each of these like random things that you can get from questing or from uh there's a a knoll bar that you can go break up and like steal their food and that's one of the things <laughs> he wants because the sliver was raised on it. Uh it's it's an interesting little touch and you get a really cool mount. Uh, and while you can't use it yet in Dragonflight, you can use it in the old world. And I'm super happy about that. But like this, it's a long quest line of stuff to 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 go and get this mount. But it's it it's unique and it's obtainable, and it's also not gated behind like this huge massive mystery of like 
cryptic things hidden in the world that you have to be on like the secrets of discord and hope that somebody figures it out uh, or like be refreshing wowhead or our site to, to get like the exact steps on how to unlock the mount. This one, yeah, it has a lot of steps, but it's all, it's not gated. It's all obtainable. It just takes time. And I like stuff like that. I don't mind spending time on something like a cool auto, like a little like otter mount, a dragon otter mount. Uh, so I like, I'm kind of hoping there's more stuff like that throughout the game. It also gives me a, a, a really good case of you should talk to all the vendors and you should see what the vendors have. Cause I got the, uh, I was, and everybody, I'm sure a lot of people have gotten it at this point. Uh, the f- lava snail mount. That's another mount that you can get in the game. You'll randomly get an epic level empty shell as you're leveling through and killing stuff in like the waking shores. And it doesn't tell you what it's for, right? There's no, there's no subtext or anything that gives you a hint about it or anything like that. But it turns out that you're just going to go find a lava slug, which they're all over the place, by the way, feed beef, food for beef. Um, (laughs) But you go find a giant lava slug inside of a lava pool. And if you have the shell on you, that's what gives you the mount. He gets in, you you get into the, sh- you basically say, get in your home and it goes in the home. But a lot of people sold that shell because they didn't know what it was for. It was just like an epic level thing. And I think it's sold for like, you know, 500 gold or something like that. So like it's the incentive is there to sell it. But I really like little tiny things like that, that seem so like, insignificant, like fishing up copper coins, but turn into something cool like a mount. So, sorry, I really like mounts, and I really like unique model mounts. (laughs) Okay, I am, however, going to explain how to do this for people who might actually want to do it, because we haven't done that. Um, First up, you need to get the Aquatic Shades. It's a toy. Um, When you get them, uh, then you can basically use them to find the swag, the, 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 you know immaculate sack of swag treasures you need to have the goggles for this then you, the great swag who is the the cave frog for lack of a better word you basically have to do the fishing thing that liz and joe were talking about however you can also get the coins a different way uh you can also go fight the lunker mobs in the fishing holes mm-hmm. and the lunkers uh that's the fastest way to get the coins so Keep that in mind. If you don't necessarily have to fish, you can grind up uh, these coins by by fighting Lunkers. I don't know if you need an actual raid. Like it says Lunker raids here, and I don't know if they mean literally put a raid together or if they just mean a bunch of people attacking them. That's that's not something I know. But once you have enough, you have the 75 copper coins, you can trade them for 15 silver coins. Uh, you know, for five silver coins, sorry. And then you need five silver coins for every gold coin. And the, the sack costs a gold coin, so 5 times 15, 75, that's how many copper coins you'll need if you don't get any silver coins uh, to get the gold coin to the aisles to, to trade for the sack of treasures and get the, the mount. And he's a pretty cool mount. Uh, as Joe points out, he's a, a big otter mount with, with shades on. Um, yeah, that's basically it on that as far as I can tell. Anything else, Liz? No, I am very pro mounts with sunglasses. It's a good look. Mm-hmm. All right. So now that we've done that, uh, Joe, is it okay if I... I'm sorry. I just wanted to talk about the mouth because he's so cute. Okay, yes, please continue. Okay. So again, if you have any questions for the show, email it to podcast.blizzardwatch.com. Uh, I will let Joe talk about the otter every week if we don't start getting some emails. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I will turn this show around and turn it into Otter Watch. Watch me. Uh, but if you don't happen to like sending emails, and I know people who don't, um, 
we do have two channels for people to ask us questions. One is the patron Q and podcast questions channel for patrons, because we like to take patron questions first when it's possible, because patrons do that whole thing where they pay the bills for the site. Uh, and if you don't want to, if you're not happen to be a patron of the site, which is understandable, there's a lot going on in the world. We, we got done talking about the weather catastrophe a few minutes ago. So yeah, maybe, maybe you've got a weather catastrophe issue. I don't know. But regardless, you can still ask us questions in the Q&Podcast podcast questions channel for non-patrons. Uh, and we will look there as well for answers and questions and so forth. Uh, this week, I'm just going to read the first one. And then it'll be Joe, and then it'll be Liz, and then I'm going to be done. I'm not going to read anymore because my throat sounds like him. But the first one. Hey, everybody. So Dragonflight's pretty fun, and I find myself wondering, what do you think it's actually doing differently than the last couple of expansions? What makes it fun? Is it dragon riding? Is it the complicated new crafting scenario? The lack of faction conflict? If you had to pick something to hold up as a reason that this is a cool, a good expansion, a good expansion, what would it be? Crone, corn. Uh, sorry, Joe, I don't have a Warhammer question, but I'm super excited for Rogue Trader. As am I. So, what makes it fun? Everything, Liz. Oh, Liz, go. <laughs> I mean, I think it's because there is so much depth going on. It's not just, okay, there's a main story quest and there are a few side quests. It's like every zone you go to is just full of life and stuff happening. Even if you aren't directly involved, you can talk to NPCs who will talk about what's going on. Even if they don't even have a quest, they're just hanging out there and you can talk to them. There are tons of little side stories that are you know, not involved in the big stuff happening in the world, but, you know, little things just people are doing. The place feels just full of life and interest, I suppose. And even as you grind reputation, as you earn renown with factions, you unlock more story quests, which I think is, I think is an interesting new way to do stuff, because usually... You didn't have stories locked behind reputation like this. I think it's really interesting that you can continue to work on your renown. And as you get up, you unlock new little stories. And like even now, we're like a month out from the expansion launch. And there are still side quests that I haven't done. There are still sometimes I'll be flying around looking for order mine. And I'll be like, wait. There's an exclamation point down there. It's a side quest I've never seen. And I've been playing this game a lot for the past month, and I'm still finding new stuff. I've just unlocked a couple of new story quests through Renown. It feels like every time I log on, I have something to do, and I'm part of a world that is really interesting, and just, it feels like it's overflowing with people and characters and events. And I mean, in a good way, it's just, this is a, this is a vibrant living world in a way I don't, know that warcraft's ever been i want to put a lot of this on dragon riding i think too so one of the things we've always complained about uh with expansions in general is the idea of flying being gated or being held back and it feels bad and they they said that they want you to experience the world and, and i understand that but we've always made the case that you can experience the world just fine by flying and Instead of just giving us flat out flying, they gave us a more engaging flying right off the right out the gate. Right, dragon riding is, in my opinion, one of the best things that they've done to flying in a long time. 
it's not the sit and hover and wait and and do stuff like that. It encourages you because it, it is all momentum and in, basically encourages you to continually move forward because you can't just hover in place to explore, to maybe see what else is out there, maybe a couple of yards beyond where you intended to go. And like Liz is pointing out, like sometimes you'll just find a random exclamation point or an area that you haven't explored yet. Or, you know, maybe there's a, a random NPC or a rare mob that spawns that you just happened to find because you were just flying around. And it's a thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from regular flying. And I really like regular flying. And I'm looking forward to it coming back so I can take some better screenshots. But I think it it works in the expansion's favor. It also helps make the world feel... Like the dragon elves feel larger as a result of that, if that makes sense. But it's just very engaging. So I think I think that that helps. Everything that they've done so far has really been about player engagement, and I think making you do stuff whether you like it or not. I see Molly in chat <laughs> uh, commenting about it being a whole entire job. It can be, um, but you can't help but say the crafting and other things like that feel like they at least have some value now because they are more engagement-based than just the thing that exists. My microphone down to my face. I'm having a wonderful day of not remembering what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, um, I don't have an answer because they took my answers. I mean, Joe, I was even like, oh, I'll fall back on crafting, and Joe went to crafting. I'm like, well, then that's it then. Uh, but I will say that I'm enjoying my class. Uh, I've played nothing but Warriors so far. I haven't played anything else. Um, and I've played four Warriors to 70, and while I did complain about the last one, it it was you know i did a lot of different things like i i did different specs i tried some stuff out uh one of my warriors is single-minded fury another is went went like prot the whole way um so yeah there's there's a lot of variety with the new talent system that is a lot better than i expected it to be i'm not saying it doesn't have flaws i'm not saying there's not stuff i don't like oh i got a laundry list of complaints (laughs) i'm already tired of the cookie cutter build stuff but in general i got to play like I played four warriors to max and I didn't ever feel like I was on the same guy. Like they weren't the same. I, I had different, I took different talents and, and came up with different builds for different things. Um, were they all optimal? Would I raid on them? No, absolutely not. But the other cool thing is that since you can switch your talents whenever you want for nothing, if you've got a build that's good for one thing, but not another thing, you can switch it. And, and that's not a, it's not onerous. It's not a burden. Like if you, if you tank for raids, but you want a DPS and you're off time, it's a button push. So yeah, I honestly think the talent system for all its flaws and for all that it needs a lot more work done on it, it's going in the right direction for me at this time. And I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, but that means now it's up to one of you two to read the next one. Let's well, I mean- say Liz. Uh, okay. Okay. Scrolling, scrolling. Where's the next question? Uh, Ice Wizards asks, what's your favorite dinosaur? I feel like we had this question before. Yeah, he asked it a lot. <laughs> I mean... I'm uh, always going to have... put it in. If we're, if we're having a down day, oh, I'm going to okay. put this question in. <laughs> I mean, my favorite dinosaur is the Triceratops. They're great. They have horns. They're, they're just awesome. Triceratops all the way. Matt, go ahead. I know you want to. No, him. no. Mm, I'm last. <laughs> I'm not going to answer. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about Joe, shall we? Joe, recalcitrant Joe. You won't talk about dinosaurs. Joe, if I answer this question right now, it's going to take 10 minutes. Seriously. I'm aware. Talk. I like so many dinosaurs that I can't possibly name a favorite one. So instead of naming a favorite one, I'm going to talk about Zhuzhang Tyrannus today. Zhuzhang Tyrannus is a Chinese dinosaur. 
Uh, its full name is Zucheng Tyrannus Maximus. Sorry, no, Magnus. My bad. Uh, Zucheng is slightly smaller than Tarbosaurus, who is itself slightly smaller than T-Rex, which puts Zucheng up there in terms of Tyrannosaurid size. The reason I like it is, A, it we discovered it through relatively few bone fragments, and B, it's got a lot of distinctiveness from other Tyrannosaurids of its size, despite the fact that we only have a few bone fragments. We've got most of the mouth and part of the skull and a few pieces of bone from the rest of the body. And yet we already know that it's got a different uh, orbital alignment. It's, its eyes were in different places. Uh, one of the things about Tyrannosaurids in particular is when you get up to T-Rex, T-Rex almost had binocular vision, which is very rare. Uh, most, most theropods had something a lot more like what a horse would have, like an eye on each side. They couldn't, they would have a, almost a dead spot in front of them. They turn their heads to see in front of them, not as bad as a horse, uh, but, but they definitely had more side vision. Uh, but T-Rex as, as their eyes, as the skulls grew, their eyes swung forward a bit and they had more front vision. Um, Zucheng is interesting in that it has more forward-facing vision than Tarbosaurus, less than T-Rex, but more than Tarbosaurus, and a skull that is more heavily built around the sides, which would make it good for the things that we expect the Tyrannosaur to be good at, like, you know, biting, crushing with its teeth. Um, it's close enough, both Zucheng and Tarbosaurus are close enough to Tyrannosaurus that it's, om- like, some paleontologists still argue that they're the same species, that they're all just Tyrannosaurus, that there's no real difference between them. Um, others point out there are a lot of physiological differences. It, you know, I'm not a paleontologist. Uh, you'd need an actual scientist. But that's why I'm bringing up Zucheng, because I, th- I like the fact that they've discovered Zucheng fairly recently, that he is this big Tyrannosaurid that we didn't know about at all. He, I, he illustrates the changes that we are not aware of. Like all these different species we only know from a few fossils. Like we have a lot of T-Rex fossils, but a lot of T-Rex fossils is a couple dozen. And there's like millions of years of, of evolution that we don't have anything from. So that's it. This week at Zucheng. Next week's probably going to be Acrocanthosaurus again, but I'm not talking about Acro. <laughs> Joe? All right, I'll move on to the next question. <laughs> uh, ask you, I have come to do. Trouble is uh, that I am ha- uh, trouble that I am having is taking incarnates seriously with arms like tiny babies. They be having <laughs> small and often just sort of wiggling. It is impossible to not be giggling. Why are they so? Is Arm Day what they were skipping when they were in time? They were tripping. Uh, and this is from uh, Kotal Amu. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> um, I mean, it's part of the Proto Drake design, right? Because that's what they're based off of. And if you look at Proto Drakes in general, they always have like their winged, their winged T Rexes, essentially. Right. Sorry. Go ahead, Liz. And that's that's exactly what I was going to say. They have little T-Rex arms. They have, you know, just tiny arms and kind of the the big part of their of their torso is their wings. And uh, I mean, a T-Rex is pretty it's a pretty intimidating beastie, despite the fact that it has tiny arms. I think, yeah, the tiny arms are a little hilarious. And particularly Razagath, who has her Santa hat on right now and has a candy cane in one tiny arm and a wreath in the other tiny arm. It's pretty ridiculous. Uh, but they can still be scary, just like a T-Rex can still be scary. I am curious as to what Matt thinks about the this odd resemblance between proto-drakes and uh, certain types of dinosaurs. See, the problem is, is that I know enough about dinosaurs to know that they don't, their arms are much bigger than a T-Rex's. 
So I'm like, oh, they don't look like T-Rexes at all. <laughs> and I'm trying really hard to restrain the urge to go on a 20-minute. You see on a T-Rex, the arms are not actually, they're fully functional, but they they're directly down to the point where they couldn't even reach out past the mouth, blah, 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 blah. Point being, I think that they just did that to try and show off. They wanted them to look primitive. Because keep in mind, when they first in introduced proto-drakes, they were in Northrend, and that was this whole, this is where dragons come from, and we're not going to explain any more about that. Um, and I think that's basically was just a visual choice because it looks, dragons have big sinuous arms. They have four four limbs that go down below their bodies. They have, and their, their, their four limbs are perfectly, you know, they're proportional to the rest of their bodies. They, they look kind of like big lizardy cats. Um, so having the proto Drake have the little baby arms coming out, it, it's inherently primitive looking. It looks like a primitive condition. Uh, what we would call basal in actual paleontology. It looks ancestral. I uh, don't think that's actually the case. Um, and, and I'll point out that in, in Tyrannosaurids, it went exactly the opposite direction. The more advanced, the, the more derived Tyrannosaurids, their, their limbs continued to shrink because they didn't need them. Like, what were they doing with their limbs? Nothing. They were biting with those gigantic heads. They, the limbs would do nothing. So they didn't, they didn't use them for that anymore. I will point out, however, that the uh, T-Rex line, Tyrannosaurids, are not the line with the smallest limbs. That's a Bellosaurids. Uh, look up Carnotaurus sometime. Uh, Carnotaurus forelimbs are so small and are actually atrophied. They don't, some, some paleontologists think they're not even visible. Like they're, the bones are still there, but it's like a whale's back legs. The bones are still there for a whale to have back legs, but most whales don't have back legs. The, the bones are just inside the body. They think that's what the case with Carnotaurus. The bones might not have even been showing. There wasn't even a visible limb. Uh, other people think they did have them and they possibly used them for display purposes. But regardless, that's what I think about that. You know, that's something I hadn't thought about that, like, you know, a Tyrannosaurus doesn't need its arms. Like, I never thought Razagas arms were, like, atrophied. That's just, you know, the way they are. And she clearly does not need those arms for anything. Like, no. some of the things she does in Raid is she shoots giant lightning bolts out of her mouth. She does not need arms to swipe at you. And she beats her wings and knocks you off the platform. Like, she beats her wings so fiercely to send you flying off of this gigantic platform that the fight is on. So it, it doesn't matter if she skipped arm day, you know? It doesn't matter if she doesn't have, like, beefy, strong arms. She will straight up murder you. That's no reason to think that she is lesser in any way because she's she's still very dangerous and she's also very angry at us. So, yep. yeah. But I think Liz, I think you're up now. Oh, oh, no, it's my turn again. To Liz and Joe and Rossi, where do you think Anduin is right now? I haven't played much since Warlords, but last I remember he was being very annoying in Pandaria and now he's gone. I understand he was around in Legion and BFA and Shadowlands, and that I missed his story, but I'm more wondering what he's doing now. Pete. Recovering. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I hope he's like at a spa somewhere, just chilling out and trying not to not to think about this. If you if you really missed out on his whole Shadowlands story, uh, then, well, he basically got kidnapped by Sylvanas and turned into, like, a murder machine who did the Jailer's Will. And uh, he was a raid boss who actually got pretty close to murdering all of us. It was really fun. Anduin 
not so much a fan of that. And he kind of noped out of everything. He's currently uh, on a farm in Tranor. <laughs> just, just, he's yeah. Outland. Just... Actually, he's at Thrall's farm in Outland. Because <laughs> Thrall's, Thrall's hanging around in Orgrimmar. I would take that. If you were to tell me that he is chilling at a... Uh, out in Outland, like trying to get his his groove back, I'd be like, okay. There's yeah. going to be a cinematic at some point where Gen has to come find him, and he's like, Anduin is gigantically swollen now, and he's like, he's like, what? I'm not going back. I won't be king again. I didn't ask. <laughs> just and then I don't know. Night elves will attack him. <laughs> just yeah, I, mean, I don't know why. Maybe- Maybe he's out on a pumpkin farm somewhere because that does seem like the human thing. I mean, he's still humans really have a swole. lot of pumpkin farms. He's, he's still enormously swollen from all the giant pumpkins he's carrying. And <laughs> at one point, he has to kick over a pumpkin and his sword's under there. And he pulls his sword out from under the pumpkin. Like, what have you been doing with that thing? I've been making pumpkins with it. What do you think? It's jack o' lantern time. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's somewhere getting his head together because he's been through some rough, traumatic things. I mean, hopefully, he's on a beach having like a nice. A nice relaxing time because he he has not had a good time of it. He became king because his father died, and then just the entire world went to hell. I mean, Azeroth and is usually kind of literally kinda, for a while there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, in all in all seriousness, he we know that he is he's trying to, for lack of a better term, like rebalance himself. It's not exactly a small traumatic experience he's coming back from. He. He went through a lot. It it took a long time for him to to you know recover from a lot of that. And even at the end of at the end of Shadowlands, there's an extra little thing where you can see him go and talk with Sylvanas, and you can see how haunted he is because that's that's the thing, right? Everything he did, the lights were on at home. He knew what he was doing. He was forced to watch what he was doing from the inside. The jailer left left him conscious enough in order to torture him essentially uh so like you don't you don't come back from that and just like immediately go back to to happy fun times or to ruling a kingdom or to dealing with conflict immediately and a lot of times he's still trying to figure out who he is and and as a as a king as a person uh there's a lot of that and there was there was problems with that before shadowlands happened as well uh in madeline rose book uh, there's a whole, I was Madeline Rue's book. There's a whole series, a sequence of him escaping the the castle of Stormwind, uh, taking on a new, uh, an alternate persona, which I think was what Jarek, I think was the name. Uh, you know, just to learn and feel normal and see what people in the kingdom were doing to try to feel more connected to them. He was already feeling weird about being a king and and who he was as a human, and what Liz pointed out, ever all of that's valid too. So honestly. I just hope he's at a spa somewhere. Uh, was it as a spa getting like all of his like stress taken away? He's going through the meditation classes and he needs, he needs something. He needs something to, to before he can come back and hang out with have us you, again. Have you not gone to the spa here? You don't want to there send him a- to a spa in, 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 in <laughs> world of Warcraft. There's elementals attacking and people are being kidnapped and there's a dog turning people into chunks of raw meat. And no man, spas aren't relaxing at all. He'd be better off on Thrall's farm. I mean, maybe there's a nicer spa than the spa. On nicer the spa Isles. than one run by dragons. I mean, come on. <laughs> dragons love luxury. You're going to tell me there aren't dragons just showing up to lay on hot rocks. They, that'd be like so cool for them. Well, that's the, no, VI, I mean, that's the VIP spa. We've only seen the normal people spa. <laughs> Anduin yeah. is 
Anduin is like this really interesting character because he's like we've watched him grow up over the course of the game. When the game launched, he was a tiny child still standing in the throne room of Stormwind, but he hasn't like he hasn't had a chance to grow up. He's been here in the middle of it this whole time. And first he was, uh, you know, kind of being pushed around by Katrina Prester and uh, manipulated. And he's just a child kind of stuck in this role because his mother's gone. His father has vanished. And, you know, after his father came back, of course, his father is like super overprotective and he doesn't get to do anything. And he has to run away and be an annoyance for all of us in Pandaria. And then all of a sudden he's king. He has never had a minute to be himself or to figure out who he is. He's always been in the spotlight. And it's probably past time for him to nope out and say, okay, I need some me time. I need to figure this out. I need to be alone. I need people to not be staring at me in the storm room, in the throne room all the time. Bye. Okay. I mean, that seems like a pretty good place to stop. Uh, we're kind of past time. So um, do you think you can do like one last one quickly or what do you, do you think we should stop here? Uh, honestly, I think the one from Pete, we can probably do pretty fairly quickly. Okay. Um, go for it. Joe. Sure. Uh, this is from Pete. Uh, was just wondering how y'all feel healing is going this expansion. I dumped my Holy Pally for preservation of Ochre, and so far I'm happy. Will Blizz buff Pallies in other classes, or will they leave them bad so I can keep uh, shining as a Voker? Uh, so literally, I was just talking about this in, in chat, and I've been complaining about this for a while. Evokers are the flavor of the month right now. And we are running into the same problem that we always run into with healer classes, where which is or with uh, hero classes, which is they're always overtuned when they first drop. Always. It has happened every single time. Death Knights, when they first were released, dominated everything. You wanted to be a tank? Guess you're rolling a Death Knight. Didn't matter what flavor. You were rolling a Death Knight. When Monks released, they dominated healing and tanking. I don't know how they did on DPS. Uh, Demon Hunters. They dominated tanking and DPS, and this is just the next evolution of it. Evokers are going to get tuned down. Um, somebody made an argument that they feel like evokers don't offer enough utility to a group, uh, that they have to be overtuned to compensate for that. I don't agree. Um, but when I an undergeared evoker is doing 15k more healing per second than me, who's been healing for 18 years, and it's somebody who hasn't healed in probably a decade, there's a problem. Right. And a lot of the classes do feel weaker. And I'm, I'll, I'll let Liz talk about her experiences. But right now, I feel Restoration Shaman is super weak comparatively. And I kind of expected that going into, into this, but like I'm feeling like I'm struggling as a healer if I'm not playing an Evoker. And I'm hoping that we'll get more class tuning than what I've seen in the 10.5 patch notes, at least for my class, which is my healing tide does more when I'm not in combat because that's a thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it doesn't feel great if you're not an evoker right now, at least in my opinion. How has how your experience been, Liz? Well, I want to bring it back to evokers for a minute because there's something really interesting. It feels like Vault of the Incarnates was specifically designed uh -huh. to show how amazing preservation evokers are. There's there's stuff that you have to do in Vault of the Incarnates that you cannot do without an evoker. Evokers are super mobile. They have all of these ways to get around. They have amazing, big healing cooldowns. And specifically for Razagath, 
because we were just talking about how she has those giant wings and she tries to throw you off the platform with evokers, your cooldown, the whole raid has reduced cooldowns on movement abilities. And they also have a, a, a cooldown that lets everyone in the raid use their movement ability again, even if it's on cooldown. So, like, on Razagath, at minimum, you need a preservation evoker in your group because that's the only way you're going to survive Razagath trying to throw you off into the void. So I think I think that's interesting because, you know, it's a new class. You do kind of want to see how it plays and what advantages it has. But also it does make kind of every other healer feel like, I don't know what I'm bringing to the table because evokers have so much. They are doing so many cool things, and I'm just doing exactly the same things I was doing last expansion. Uh, so yeah, I think I, I think other classes always feel kind of left out when there's a shiny new class because it's like, wow, they have all these cool toys, and I just I don't have any new cool toys. I have the same old toys. Um, I mean, I'm playing a holy paladin right now. I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel amazing about it, but I don't feel bad about it. And I like the talent trees, even though I don't think they're perfect, but I'm like, I'm content right now, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of envious of all of the cool shiny toys evokers have. And, you know, none of the rest of us got any cool new shiny toys. We're, we're, we're playing with, you know, toys that are like four expansions old at this point. Or in some cases, some of my toys have been taken away and not replaced. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, they need to take a pass at healing is what the TLDR is. If you're an evoker, your preservation evoker, live it up. Like bask in that glory. Do it. Uh, enjoy that time because it, it, like every other class, it's going to get tuned and hopefully, and I'm, this is me, fingers crossed, we'll we'll reach a balance point. One thing I do wonder is like, is the next raid going to show us like the next evolution of healing? Because Vault of the Incarnates has been so balanced around having an evoker in the party. So is the next raid going to kind of like show off other healers? Or are they going to make the next raid again with evokers in mind, expecting you to have evoker tools in your raids tool set? I'm very curious to see that as well. All right. Um, But I think that actually does it for the show. Uh, So, yeah, I'm glad we had that discussion, though. I'm glad glad you said that we had time for it because it was a good way to close it out. Um, I, I'm not playing a healer right now, so you know I don't I don't have any feedback on that. But uh, Joe, if you don't mind doing your thing, not a problem. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at Patreon.com/slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast for the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, thank you very much, Joe, and also thank you to Liz for being here and putting up with a lot of stuff and reading (laughs) questions and all that. Um, I do want to say, if you've got a question for the show, you can hit up our discord. We've got the Q, the podcast Q and podcast questions channel for non-patrons because we do want us to our non-patrons get to ask us questions. Your support is still important. Um, There's also the patron Q and podcast questions channel for our patrons because you guys pay the bills and that's really awesome of you. Um, and if you want to send an email, you can send an email to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast of Blizzard Watch. This has been the Blizzard Watch podcast. Thank you guys so much for being here and we'll see you next week. Hey. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.